2: Here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello and welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring and Phil, I've waited 83 episodes to say this. I want my $2. <laughs>
0: well, you should have got it when I was in New York City with you. I know, right? I missed my opportunity. Yeah. I know, I know. I had it right there as well. <laughs> it's funny though, uh... When I was flying back from New York, I think I must have got on the wrong flight, because there were some very dodgy people on there as well. Some of them actually behind a cage.
2: Oh, behind a Nicholas Cage. <laughs> yes, Mike, <laughs> you could say that. That's our—that's our new invention. It's like a Faraday cage, but it, it traps bad performances. <laughs> yes. It's called the Nicholas Cage.
0: You, yeah, and you can't put you can't point when you're behind it. Right. And you can't shout, and you can't, you know, uh, shake and right, right, have right. loads of weird text and things. But yeah, it was a, it was a weird flight. Uh, we landed in a few places, including Las Vegas. Mm. Uh, lots of the passengers died.
2: I hate when that happens.
0: Yeah, it was all apparently, apparently, you know, there was they were all mass murderers and serial killers, but I just got on the wrong well,
2: one. Well, now, you see, that's what happens when you go for the lowest airfare instead of trying <laughs> to pick the best airline.
0: It was cheap. They did pay me. So... Uh, <laughs>
2: All right, well, for those people who are very confused, I'm hoping there's not too many of them, but why don't you tell them what films we're going to be discussing today, Phil?
0: Yes, Mike, today we are going to be going after the ending of Con Air, starring the aforementioned Nicolas Cage, and also uh, a film called Better Off Dead, which Mike is a huge fan of, and it it is a very good film, although I only saw it once many years ago, and both films star John Cusack.
2: Yes, it's an unintentional John Cusack double yes. feature, but that's okay. It's never stopped us before, so we're gonna forge ahead. Yeah, we're gonna kick things off with Better Off Dead, but I, I feel I do feel like I have to I have to talk about this movie. I can't just jump into oh, you have it. Oh, yeah. It is one of my all time favorite movies. It is a cult classic of sorts uh, bordering on just a general comedy classic but certainly a cult classic I know there are a lot of people out there who haven't seen this movie but um, it is one of the funniest movies ever and certainly one of the funniest movies of the 80s it is John Cusack at his most John Cusackian uh, (laughs) and and, in all the best ways not the like Post-Cusack, John Cusack. Yeah,
0: yeah. Not when he became like a parody of himself.
2: Right, right, exactly. But uh, it's got so many great quotable lines. And of course, the most famous line from the movie that people may be familiar with is, I want my $2, which uh, for those of you who may have been with me for a long time know that I have a website that uh, is kind of defunct now, but for several years was my the home of all my movie reviews. And it was called Two dollars com because uh, that was sort of the ultimate you know, in-joke pop culture reference to me. So that's how much I love this movie. I actually named my website uh, after this film. So uh, I'm very excited to do this. And the reason we chose to do it now is because I just recently at a comic book convention had a chance to speak with one of the stars of the film, um, that which was Amanda Wiss. She plays Beth uh, who is the character that that dumps John Cusack and starts the whole chain of events that becomes this film? So we're going to share that with you a little bit uh, in a little bit after our endings, where she talks about what she thinks happens to her character after the ending. So that was a real treat for me to get to meet her and talk to her and and you know find out her thoughts on on the after the ending for the film.
0: Yeah, so Amanda, where she was being in, she was in the very first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, loads of TV shows, loads of other films. Uh, she's still acting today and we'll be able to listen to her a little bit later on. Indeed. She was very nice. And I, I really enjoyed talking to her.
2: Uh, and actually I got, a, I got a very nice picture with her as well that I will post to the, after the ending Facebook page. Uh, so it should be up by the
0: time this episode airs. Excellent.
2: So what do you say, Phil? Shall we jump into things?
0: Yes, let's go do this. Do you want to give us uh, a rundown then of Better Off Dead?
2: Sure thing. So Better Off Dead, 1985, directed by Savage Steve Holland, starring John Cusack, Curtis Armstrong, David ogden Styers, Diane Franklin, Amanda Wyss, of course, and Dan Schneider. So Lane Meyer, played by John Cusack, is a high school student who is dumped by his girlfriend Beth, played by the aforementioned Amanda Wyss, for Roy Stalin, the captain of the ski team. Roy is a big jerk who prevents Lane from getting on the ski team himself. Lane becomes very depressed, made worse by his little brother Badger, a scheming genius, a couple of Korean drag racers, his clueless mom, and his obnoxious neighbor Ricky, as well as Johnny the Paperboy, who wants his two dollars. His best friend, Charles DeMar, played by Curtis Armstrong, is a bit of a weirdo, constantly trying to find substitutes for the drugs he can't get, and Lane becomes friends with a French exchange student named Monique, played by Diane Franklin. Lane half-heartedly tries to kill himself, but eventually ends up attempting to ski the K-12 mountain to impress Beth. He wipes out, and things are made worse when he gets fired from his job at a burger joint right in front of Beth and Roy. Monique is an auto mechanic and a great skier who helps Lane fix his Camaro and train in skiing. And when Roy insults Monique, Lane challenges him to a ski race down the K-12, with the winner becoming the captain of the ski team. Lane ends up winning the race on one ski, and while Beth rushes to embrace him at the finish line, he rejects her and drives off with Monique in his Camaro. The film ends with Lane and Monique kissing at home plate of Dodger Stadium with Johnny the Paperboy bicycling towards them. And that is Better Off Dead. But of course, you really have to watch the movie to get why it's so funny, because I just gave you the plot. All the jokes are what makes it so great, and you have to—you really have to watch it to, to get a sense of them.
0: Yeah, I need to track down a copy of it and give it another watch. But uh, it's funny, though. John Cusack in the 80s, were most of his films about his character being in love with one girl and then realizing that he was actually in love with somebody else at the end of the film.
2: Yeah, that was pretty much how he built his career. That's most of his early
0: films, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, But I do enjoy them all. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, Phil, well, what do you got then? Give us your day after. Okay, then. After kissing Monique, Lane held her. Uh, She then mentioned that there was a, a boy on a bike heading their way. Lane nodded and said, I'll be right back. He turned and waited, his hand in his pocket. Johnny stopped, and before he had a chance to say anything, Lane stuffed two $1 bills into Johnny's hand. Lane then hugged Johnny and kissed him on the forehead. (laughs) Johnny looked awfully confused and a little bit disappointed, but he then turned and rode away. Lane returned to Monique, and they left the stadium and headed to the nearest diner. They spent the rest of the day talking, eating and laughing. Lane was happy for the first time in a long time. That's my day after.
2: Very cool. All right. I'm gonna say there are a couple of similarities in here, including one or two minor ones that are a little bit eerie.
0: Okay. But I think we're going
2: in different directions and there's enough yeah, differences. Yeah, yeah. But
0: yeah, yeah for the listeners who are just joining us uh, neither Mike or myself know what each other one's written for the after the ending. So if there are similarities, it's purely coincidental. Indeed. OK, then. So what have you got for your day after?
2: Well, Lane sees Johnny and says, oh, crap, let's get out of here. But before he can get behind the wheel of his car, Monique simply reaches in her pocket, pulls out two dollar bills and hands them to Johnny. Johnny looks at the money in his hand, somewhat confused, and says, um, thanks. Then he slowly pedals away. (laughs) So see, both of us had Johnny being confused. Yeah,
0: but different. Yeah, but different people gave him the money. Right, exactly. That's it, you see. Totally different.
2: Right. So Johnny (laughs) pedals away. 20 years later, when Johnny is accepting the Salesman of the Year Award at a prestigious Wall Street firm, he thinks back to that moment as the one that set the course for his life. (laughs) Brilliant. Meanwhile, back in the present, Beth dumps Roy after realizing she doesn't have true feelings for him, and Charles DeMar tries snorting ecto-cooler Kool-Aid, which sends him on a strange acid trip. (laughs) Lane and Monique spend the day at Dodger Stadium, just hanging out and continuing to get to know one another. At the end of the day, as they're driving home, Lane asks Monique if she'd like to go to prom with him. She accepts happily, and when they get back, she packs up her things from Ricky's house and moves into Lane's house. And that's my day after.
0: Oh, excellent. I like that. Uh, For people out there, don't snort, Ecto Cooler.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but I checked and the timeline works out because this movie was 1985 and Ghostbusters came out in 1984. So Ecto Cooler would still have been on the shelves.
0: Ah, it all works out. That's
2: the kind of research I put into my endings, folks. This is for you. I do this for you, the listener.
0: Yeah, we spend, people don't know, but we spend hours in the after-the-ending film vault. It's true. Going through years of just, you know, paper files, the internet, everything. We just we, we just got to get everything for you. That's right. That's right. We work hard.
2: Yeah. All right. Phil, what do you have for your immediate aftermath, then?
0: My immediate aftermath? Uh, the rest of school passed by in a blur. Lane and Monique were still together, and Lane's life had changed for the better. His relationship with all his family had improved immeasurably, and all in all, he was popular, happy, and loving life. With school over, Lane decided to return to France with Monique for a while. He got a job as a ski instructor and his skills improved. One day he was approached by a scout for the US Winter Olympics team. At first, Lane thought he was just chatting and talking about, you know, he wanted to talk about people who'd be good for the team. But then the scout said, actually, Lane was amazingly talented. And he asked Lane if he would like to compete in the next Winter Olympics in two years' time. Lane couldn't believe it, but he had a dilemma. Monique and Lane had just bought a ski school and were employing five new instructors with plans to To make it bigger, because they could see an awful lot of potential. But after lots of talking, Monique convinced Lane to join the US team. Lane was going to the Olympics. I like it. That's my ending. What's going on with your immediate aftermath?
2: All right. Well, for the next few weeks, Lane and Monique play it cool when they're in the house, pretending they're just friends. It's not hard to pull off since Lane's parents are pretty clueless, but Badger catches them sneaking into each other's rooms at night and blackmails Lane into giving him money to keep their secret. 30 years later when badger is sitting on the beach of the private island he owns he reflects on the money he got through illicit means and thinks back to the moment he started blackmailing lane as the start of his life of luxury (laughs) back in the present (laughs) back in the present beth sinks into a deep depression as she watches lane and monique become a serious item and she starts sleeping with charles DeMar in an attempt to make lane jealous Charles, meanwhile, has developed an addiction to snorting ecto-cooler, and his behavior is becoming more and more erratic. Finally, prom night comes around, and it's an eclectic group of couples that shows up. Lane and Monique, Charles and Beth, Roy Stalin with two girls from the ski team. Ricky comes with his mom as his date. Lane's mom and dad are there as chaperones. The Korean brothers also show up as each other's dates. (laughs) Charles is high as a kite. Beth keeps trying to flirt with Lane, and unbeknownst to all of them, Johnny the paperboy is outside. Turns out, Lane is late on the newspaper payment again. Oh. And that's my immediate aftermath.
0: God damn it, Lane.
2: <laughs> all you got to do is give him $2. Yeah,
0: that's all. Oh, God. I know. Anyway.
2: Very frustrating. <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, I want to hear about Lane, the champion skier. So give us your long term. Okay.
0: Lane stood on the podium for the medal ceremony. He could see Monique and his family in the stands. All of them are smiling. Lane couldn't believe how lucky he was to be so happy, even with winning the bronze. He knew the mistake he had made was his own fault, but it was just another four years until he could try again and go for the gold medal. He looked down at the bronze medal before him, Blaine Meyer Olympic medalist. He still couldn't quite believe it. A short while later he was celebrating the win with his family. He hugged Monique, who kissed him, and then said, Today you won a medal, in a few months you'll be a father. It took a moment for her words to sink in, and then he took Monique in his arms and held her close. He was happy. And that's my long term.
2: Ah, so Lane's going to have a happy family life, maybe something he didn't have quite as much uh, in his youth.
0: Exactly. Yeah. I thought after all the, uh, the depression and things he was going through, he, he deserved happiness and an amazing career and life.
2: There you go. So he's better off alive now, it turns out.
0: exactly. Exactly. <laughs>
2: Very cool. I like it, Phil. I like I,
0: it. I had, I had come up with a post credit scene, uh-huh. but then I, des- I decided not to go with it because it's way too depressing. Okay. Well, now you got to tell me what it was. I, I was going to have it where it turned out all of what had happened near the last half of the film and all of this, were actually just like the visions and those last moments of his life as he was hanging in his garage. Oh, God. he died. <laughs> that's way too dark. I know. I thought, no, he deserves actual reality an actual yeah. nice
2: life. Yeah, I would have been very <laughs> upset if you had done that.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Uh, that didn't happen. Okay, what's going on with your long term, Mike?
2: Well, as the gym burns, Charles stares at the flames and tries to decipher the hidden meaning within them. 20 years later, after he finishes a sermon <laughs> at the church he's a priest at, he looks back at that moment <laughs> as, as the one that sent him on the path to the church. He's not sure if it was God talking to him or not, but he's thankful that that night was the night that he cleaned up his life. Meanwhile, Beth and Roy shake off their dates and hook up in the backseat of Roy's car. Twenty years later, as (laughs) as Beth's son graduates high school, she looks back on the night he was conceived. While her son's father was a waste of space, she wouldn't change the life she'd had since that night or the child she loved so much. Back to the present once again. (laughs) Lane Lane and Monique wander away from the burning gym, laughing at the crazy events that transpired that night. They climb into Lane's car and drive off into the night. In a few days, Monique would return to France, and the future was uncertain. But as they drove down the highway with the wind blowing in their hair, laughing and looking at each other in love, the future certainly looked bright. Fifty years later, when Lane and Monique were celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary, they'd both look back at that prom night as the night that changed their lives forever. And that's my after the ending.
0: Oh, excellent! Very nice. Thank you. Yeah, both of ours had uh, Lane having a happy life. Yeah, I
2: think nice. he, I think he earned it. You know, I mean, I, obviously yeah. the movie is about. Uh, him not being happy but I think it's nice that in the end he'll he'll get the, the happy ending he deserves yeah Yeah. alright well those are our after the endings for Better Off Dead but let's find out what Amanda Wiss thinks happens after the ending so like I said I got to speak with her recently at a little comic book convention just had a couple minutes to chat with her I asked her a couple questions about making the film and then I asked her about what she thinks Beth would be up to nowadays so here is Amanda Wiss I'm um, here at the Empire State Comic Con with Amanda Wiss, who played Beth in Better Off Dead, as you all know, one of my favorite movies of all time. Amanda, so what do you, first of all, what do you remember most about making the film?
1: First of all, when I, that when I first read the script before I was cast, it was hands down the funniest script I've ever read. But my overwhelming memory of the movie was all we did was laugh. We got up in the morning, we would go to work, we would laugh all day, and then it's like, repeat. Yeah, that, it, got, it was, um, and, and Savage Steve is such a wonderful director, and obviously what, working with John and Curtis were so loose and funny, and, um, and well, I'm just David Ogden Stiers, the whole entire, Kim Darby, ever, it was such a brilliant group of funny people yeah. that um, brought a lot of depth to the movie, too, because there's a, you know, it's a pretty serious storyline, actually, with a loving sense of humor Mm -hmm. and and i always liked that about that movie
2: absolutely now the film wasn't a big commercial hit at the time but it's it's grown into a very loved cult favorite over the years what has your interaction with fans of the film been like
1: my interaction with the fans over the years has been overwhelming first of all it's on its third generation of fans and so many people it's their family christmas movie Mm -hmm. that they watch and that Often, like, whole families come up and say, you know, how much they, they love watching it together. And um, it's a, a really positive, loving feedback to right. get for something that I had fun doing. And I'm, I'm, you know, just lucky that I got to be a part of. You know, I just fell into it, really. And um, and I'm super grateful that I get to be a part of such an iconic movie that families enjoy together. Right.
2: Now, as I explained on our show, we we like to come up with and figure out what happens to the characters after the movie ends. So where do you think Beth might be today? What do you think might have happened to her after high school?
1: I think Beth is on her fifth husband. (laughs) She's only married for money. I can see that. Um, She married uh, Aaron Dozier's character, Mm -hmm. and then they got divorced. Uh, They didn't last very long because she was secretly... um, I think Beth ultimately realized that she'd been in love with Lane. Mm -hmm. He just wasn't um, providing her with the trappings that she thought she wanted, but then when she got older, she realized that he was the love of her life. So she drinks martinis in the afternoon, plays tennis with the ladies, (laughs) and lives in her mansions all over the world, but misses and knows that she let love slip away. (laughs)
2: I love it. I love it. That's perfect. And Our endings might even reflect a little bit of that. I won't be surprised. (laughs) All right. Well, Amanda, thank you so much
0: for taking the time to talk to me.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, very interesting. I like her take on what happened to her character. It's always nice to hear what the uh, the actors think happened to their characters after the films that they were in.
2: Yeah, it was fun. It was it was, it was was a fun ending. It was really nice of her to take the time to talk to me and, and she was game to come up with her after the ending. So a uh, big thank you to Amanda Wis for being on the show.
0: Yeah, many thanks, Amanda. We appreciate
2: it. All right, so Phil, I think it's time to find out if we are... Better off trivia? I don't know. I
0: knew it. it. No, we'll go. Just let it go. Let it go. Uh, Savage Steve Holland said that the film was mostly autobiographical, and he did have a paperboy chasing for $2. But when the film came out, Holland's ex-girlfriend contacted him to apologize for the way she treated him. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Apparently, though, uh, Holland also said that John Cusack hated this movie I walked out of the film after 20 minutes during a special screening.
2: Yeah, it has been it has been widely reported that that's it's not his favorite film. Although in more recent interviews, he has. Uh, sort of soften that stance a little bit, but um, yeah. John Cusack apparently has terrible taste in movies because it's a brilliant film.
0: Yeah, because he said uh, apparently said it was the worst thing he'd ever seen.
2: Yeah, well, Str-
0: yeah, it's strange, isn't
2: John it? John Cusack. Mm. T- I mean, he, much as I love his early stuff, he has always taken himself way too seriously.
0: Yeah, 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 very true. And finally, uh, when Beth, played by. Amanda Wiss, uh, she shows up at the high school dance, the person standing behind her is wearing Freddy Krueger's sweater and as you've already said Amanda played Krueger's first victim and a Nightmare on Elm Street. There you go. That's pretty cool. So a nice, a nice little callback. Yeah, I like it when they do stuff like that. Absolutely. But that's better off dead. Very cool. All
2: right. Well, let's move on then to what is not one of my favorite movies. Although not because I hate it. Con Air is is a, certainly a a fun, mindless action flick. But it, it's it's uh, a it's no better off dead. But uh, Phil, <laughs> why don't you take us through the events of Con Air, such as they are?
0: I will. But I I do like Con Air because it's, it's uh it doesn't take itself too seriously which is a good job because it is, it is rather silly, but lots of, lots of great actors.
2: Yeah, and and uh, Nicolas Cage's mane of hair is just glorious.
0: Yeah, the bit when he gets off the bus and just like he closes his eyes in the wind yes, blows. Yes, yes, so. that is, that is oh, cinema genius
2: right there. We all wish we had hair like that. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> but it's uh, directed by Connor, 1997, directed by Simon West, stars loads of people, Ving Rames, Dave Chappelle, John Malkovich, John Kuzak. M.C. Ganey, Danny Trejo, Steve Buscemi and Ocalmini and Nicholas Cage. Uh, but it follows Cameron Poe, played by Nicholas Cage, who's an honourably discharged army ranger. However, he's just killed a man who tried to attack his pregnant wife. Because of this, Poe goes to prison for 10 years, but eight years later he is paroled and his flies to Alabama on board the Jailbird plane because it's uh, he's going to go meet his uh, wife and see his daughter for the very first time. The flight is overseen by U.S. Marshal Vince Larkin, played by John Cusack. He's on the ground on board of various guards and things like this, Uh, but also on the flight are a number of inmates who are being transferred to a supermax prison. There are mass murderers, rapists, criminal masterminds, serial killers, including one called Garland Green, played by Steve Buscemi, who is apparently the most dangerous one of them all, and he spends most of the film tied up in chains with a Hannibal Lecter mask on. Uh, It turns out though, the inmates hijack the plane, there's lots of shenanigans, uh, stuff blows up people die uh poe helps save the day with larkin and all the other convicts are either caught or killed except for garland who is escapes into las vegas and we see him playing cards and um, poe meets his daughter for the very first time and gives her a cuddly bunny rabbit toy that he'd been carrying through the entire film and that's Connor.
2: very nicely done i think that's uh that sums it up nicely it's not really a plot heavy film
0: yes yes but uh People die, yeah. in various
2: ways. Yes. I do want to point out, just for the sake of my ending, that there was a character on the plane, a convict named Sindino, and he was supposed to, at some point, they were going to meet up with people from his drug cartel to escape. But then Poe foils that. I'm only mentioning that because my ending ties into that. So. No,
0: I was, I was, I was going to go through it, but then seeing how many characters there are and yeah. who they're linked with, I just it... It just would have been uh, it would have taken forever. lots of names yeah. and people going, what two? Everyone knows. It's,
2: it's Nicolas Cage with long hair on a plane blowing stuff up. That's pretty much what you need to know.
0: Yeah, and John Malkovich's character has, you know, Cyrus the Virus. I'd always like that name. Yeah. I always thought that was a good name. Yeah. But okay then, that's what happens in Con Air. What do you have happening on the day after?
2: Well, Poe is taken into custody. Even though he was slated to be released, there's a lot of work to be done to discover who was responsible for what during the escape attempt. Luckily, Larkin promises Poe he'll vouch for him, and it will only be a short time before Poe is released. Larkin also agrees to watch over Trish and Casey for a few days, just to make sure everything is okay. Poe is remanded to a Las Vegas correctional facility, and he has no choice but to sit and wait for the justice system's wheels to slowly grind. A couple of days in, a guard calls out to Poe in the common area. Poe, you got a visitor! Expecting it to be Trish and Casey, Poe is surprised when he sees a man he's never met before on the other side of the glass. The man is dressed in a suit and tie and bears an uncanny resemblance to Alan Rickman. And that's because in my head he was played by Alan Rickman. <laughs> uh,
0: Alan Rickman. <laughs> Sorry, Alan Rickman, no right. great casting. Yeah, thank
2: what you. A shame he's thank called. you. Hello, Mr. Poe. I represent Mr. Sindino's organization. There are several people within the group who are very upset that Mr. Sindino did not survive recent events. It seems that you were instrumental in this situation. The people I represent wanted me to let you know that there will be repercussions for your actions. I'll say hello to Trish and Casey for you. Then, without another word, he stands up and walks away. And that's my day after.
0: Ooh, okay. Mmm, sinister man. Yeah. Well, played by Alan Rickman, you know it's going to be sinister. Now
2: you know why I cast Alan Rickman, though, because he's kind of perfect for that part.
0: He could have just walked there, sat down, just sort of stared at him for a while, then walked out, and then you'd know... His wife and kids were in trouble.
2: Yes, you could have, but it would have made my ending a lot shorter, so I yeah, chose not yeah. to go with
0: that route. I'm glad you went the way you did. Thank you, thank you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, meanwhile, what's going on in your day after?
0: Okay, after Larkin clears things up, power is free to go, and spends time with his daughter. He feels at peace, and the plane journey seems to be almost like a crazy action movie. doesn't seem real. <laughs> uh, initially, there was a slight awkwardness with his wife and daughter, Trish and Casey, as it has been eight years. But they hug, talk and everything's okay. Meanwhile, Garland Green had managed to acquire a sizable stack of chips at the casino. The small, unassuming man drew little attention and he enjoyed the free food and drinks he kept being given. Then he felt sad. The ages he thought had been put to rest tickled the back of his mind. He felt a need to control it, so he decided that if he won the next hand, he would not kill anyone. And that's my day after. Hmm, interesting. Alright, alright. I like it. So a serial killer in the heart of las vegas yeah yeah
2: that could be dangerous Mm, could be
0: okay what's going on with your immediate aftermath
2: well poe begins to panic and the guards mistaking his freak out for just bad inmate behavior escorts him to his cell despite his cries that he needs to make a phone call after he calms down he sets out to find officer kane a prison guard who's been fairly friendly with him he barely gets a few steps out of his cell before a group of inmates surrounds him the sindino cartel says hello one of the inmates says Poe looks around for a guard, but they've all suddenly disappeared. Poe knows he's in trouble, so he doesn't waste any time, punching the biggest guy right in the face. The other three inmates pile on him and quickly have him beat down. The leader speaks up again. Stop. Don't kill him. The Sindino cartel wants him alive, to suffer. With a final kick to the ribs, the inmates walk away, leaving Poe in a bloody heap on the floor. And that's where I'm going to leave it for now.
0: Oh, poor Poe.
2: All right, so Phil, tell us what's going on with your immediate aftermath.
0: Larkin impressed with Poe's handling of the situation. Offers him a job. It's going to be like a special consultant kind of thing. You know, the one they always have in the the cop shows and films and things like that. You're always going, there's no way on earth they get him involved. But they do. So it it happens in this one. Uh, Poe gladly takes it. Uh, Cameron, Cameron, Poe, Trisha and Casey are all very happy and this new job will mean that they'll be a lot better off. On the first day, Larkin explains that they are heading back to Las Vegas to track down Garland Green. Poe's blood runs cold. Green had made him feel very uneasy when he'd seen him on the plane. How many people are dead? Asked Poe. There have been five kills so far, replied Larkin. But the strange thing is, those five those 5 victims had all served time for violent crimes or attempted murder. And that's my immediate aftermath. Mm. Okay, what's going on though with your long term? What's happening with Poe after his beatdown?
2: Well, Poe wakes up slowly. The pain in his ribs is rivalled only by the pain in his face and his head. He tries to massage his jaw, but his arm is wrapped up in a thick cast. With a rush, the events of the last few hours come back to him. He tries to sit up, but the pain almost knocks him unconscious. Then he hears a voice. Turning his head the tiniest bit, he can just make out Larkin sitting in a chair next to his bed in the infirmary. Larkin is bruised and bloodied. What happened? Poe manages to gasp. First of all, Trish and Casey are safe. They're in FBI protective custody, Larkin says. Thank you, Poe whispers. I got lucky, Larkin continues. I happened to be checking in on them when this British assassin showed up. I think I won the fight more by accident than by skill, but I managed to stop him and get the girls safe. But this isn't over, my friend. The Sandino cartel isn't going to back down. I think we need to take the fight to them. What did you have in mind? Poe asks. Larkin says, I have a colleague in the CIA named Jack Ryan. And that's, that's the end. Very nice. I like that. Thank you. And if you really want to get technical, in my head, what happened was that leads to the events of clear and present danger. Because as I recall from that movie, Harrison Ford goes down into South America to wipe out like a drug cartel. Yeah. It does, yeah. So it all ties together.
0: No, very good ending, though. I like that. Nice tying it in with Jack Ryan. Thank I you. see that. Thank you.
2: All right. Meanwhile, then, let's hear how you wrap things up in your long term.
0: Okay. Well, Poe Larkin and the task force spent the past few days searching for green. But instead, they kept finding dead bodies. All of them seemed to be criminals. Larkin's theory was that Green's experience on the plane had changed his MO. Poe felt useless, so he went for a walk to clear his head. He grabbed a cup of coffee, and as he walked down the sidewalk, a car pulled up. It was Green. Green was driving the car, and he opened the door, telling Poe to get in. Now, why would I want to do that? said Poe. Because that vigilante is trying to kill me, and I need your help, said Green. Poe paused, nodded, pointed, and got in the car. <laughs> Green explained how he'd found peace when he'd won around the cards and the urge to kill had gone. Then the murders had begun. He'd heard rumors of a blonde, beautiful woman going around killing criminals. They call her Nomi, explained Green. <laughs> I think she used to be some kind of showgirl or something. Poe nodded. Looks like we've got to put that bunny girl back in the box. Green rolled his eyes. That's my ending. <laughs>
2: i I love that you boy, that's a deep cut Phil okay so let me let me tidy that up for some of our listeners who may not catch the reference but well, they probably figure out that nomi is from showgirls but in your after the ending for showgirls, which we did way back when
0: episode 51 episode
2: 51 uh you had yep. turned her into an avenging angel of sorts uh you know killing off some of the bad guys so yep uh, that is a nice very nice callback to another after the ending I like it. It's very meta, yes, but I, it's I all, dig it.
0: It's, I think in my head, all after the endings all are all linked.
2: Yeah, yeah. In some way.
0: It's all the same universe. I can see it. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> the after the ending verse. That's right. That's right. Oh, I like that. Uh, so, soon to be a major uh, movie franchise. <laughs> yeah. If we can get the rights to all of these yeah, films. Yeah, all we need think, is the yeah. rights
2: to some yeah. 165 films, and we should be totally fine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we might have to CGI some of the, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. the actors. <laughs> Probably. To, uh, but yeah.
2: Probably. Yeah, I think Orson Welles is busy being dead. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> We'll see, <laughs> John. Yeah, that's all. But no, I like the uh, I like your ending. Uh, uh, likewise, yeah, very likewise, good.
2: thank you. All right, well, Phil, I believe it is time for some con trivia. Boy, not a not a good week for the uh, trivia part. Con
0: contriver.
2: Let's let's hop aboard the trivia air. Uh, yeah, it's whatever. It's the yeah, best probably. I got. Just run yeah. with it.
0: Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay, so uh, the L- Las Vegas scenes uh, were mainly filmed at the Sands Hotel prior to its demolition. Uh, so they used footage of the demolition and things like that. In the film itself, so that worked out quite well. He could basically knock things down, blow things up. Combe uh, maineys keychain in the film has a Star Trek communicator on it, which is very nice for those of you like us who are fans of Star Trek because he was in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. Yep, indeed. Uh, it was also the first film that Jerry Bruckheimer produced uh, without the late Don Simpson. And finally, Connor has a body count of 43. That's a pretty solid body count. Yeah, yeah, lots, lots of murder, death, kill. Yeah, yeah. That works. All okay. right. Well,
2: there you go. So those are our endings for Con Air and Better Off Dead. And that's going to wrap up that part of the show. So we'll move on to our 100 years of Hollywood in 100 episodes. And this time, we're going all the way back to the turn of the century, but not the first turn of the century that everyone thinks of, the more recent turn of the <laughs> century, with the year 2000. So, Phil, why don't you climb into your time machine and tell us what things were like back in the year of Y2K?
0: God, yeah. Eighteen years ago. Yeah. Turn of the century. Yeah. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. People born in two thousand can vote now.
0: I know. It's uh I remember being in school, I think in two thousand was such a long way away.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was like that was like the far future.
0: Yeah, now it is still a long way away, but I'm on the other side. (laughs) In the other direction. So the year two thousand, the British Prime Minister was Tony Blair, the US President was Bill Clinton. There were various assassinations, coups various military attacks, terrorists, things like this. Lots of depressing stuff, so I'll try not to cover that. Uh, But 2000 saw the Tagish Lake meteorite hitting Earth. It was the final original Peanuts comic strip published. The PlayStation 2 was released in Japan. The billionth living person in India was born. Dora the Explorer debuted. On Nickelodeon, the Nintendo GameCube was revealed. Uh, the first resident crew entered the International Space Station. The third and final reactor in Chernobyl was shut down, and the station itself was shut down completely. 2000 also saw the births of Willow Smith, Lil Pump, and Mackenzie Foy. But sadly, we also lost uh, some great ones. We lost. Uh, we saw the deaths of Hedy Lamar, Ian Jury, Charles M. Schultz. Hence, the you know the last. Original Peanuts comic strip being published. Right. Uh, Jim Varney, Stanley Matthews, Screaming Jay Hawkins, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., John Gillgood, Walter Mattow, Alec Guinness, Loretta Young, Richard Farnsworth, Jason Robards, and Kirsty McCall. All
2: right, there you go. So that is 2000. Let's Let's uh, let's get into our lists then. What did you think about 2000, Phil? Uh,
0: actually, a lot more films in there that, than I thought they were going to be, uh, but lots, lots of ones where I sort of enjoyed, but they didn't quite make the list. You know, just going, yeah, I enjoyed watching it, but...
2: Mm. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt about the year. Like my coming up with 10 that I liked wasn't hard at all. But like I would say there's only on this list Two or three that I really, really love, you know, maybe four. And then after that, it's kind of like, yeah, I like all of these. But there's, it's not like any, any of the, my, well, one, but other than the first one, none of that are like my, oh, my favorite, favorite films. You know, it certainly wasn't one of those years where, yeah, yeah. It was just like an embarrassment of riches. It's, it's, uh, it was an okay year. It, was, it wasn't bad. Some decent I mean, movies.
0: Lo- loads of films where if I was flicking through the channels on TV and they came on, i right. sit and watch it and go, yep, I enjoyed that.
2: That's exactly the way to put it. A lot of films that if they came on TV, you could easily sit and watch them um
0: but very few masterpieces yeah yeah cool okay then well uh do you want to kick things off mike do you want to give us your number 10
2: sure my number 10 is a film uh called men of honor and it stars robert de niro and cuba gooding jr two actors i'm not particularly big fans of actually but yeah, yeah. um but i really like this movie it's about a, a black navy guy who is basically fighting against prejudice and robert de niro is sort of his like super hard-nosed instructor who kind of makes everything harder on Cuba Gooding Jr. Than, than he has to and sort of, you know, really beats yeah, him up. Yeah. But Cuba Gooding Jr. has to keep overcoming these odds and um, and proving him wrong. And, and eventually he kind of wins over his respect. It's an interesting film. Uh, it didn't do that well in theaters, but I really, really liked it. I remember seeing it in theaters and just being very profoundly moved by it. Um, honestly, I haven't seen it in a few years, so I don't know if it holds up as well. But I know that at the time I really loved it. So I thought that made it good enough to get in at, at number 10. Worth watching if you haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, I've never seen it. I remember the trailer. Yeah,
2: it's good performances. It's one of those kind of movies like, you know, it fits a certain mold. It's, it's you know, based on true story, it's this man overcoming, yeah, yeah. you know, the racism and sort of winning people's respect and and fighting an uphill battle. And it's sort of, you know, it's a tale that you've seen before in different, you know, different kinds of story formats, but it's it's well done enough that
0: that I enjoyed it. Good pick. Okay, my number 10 is uh, Requiem for a Dream by Darren Aronofsky, with uh, Jared Leto, Ellen Burst and Jennifer Connelly and Marlon Wayans. It's basically a film about addiction from in a different people, drug addiction, sorry, uh, from young to old. And it's it's a brilliant movie, but I never want to watch it again.
2: <laughs> well, I can one-up you on that, Phil. I've never seen it, and I still never want to watch yeah. it again.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it was one of those ones, I knew what it was about, watched it, and it just blew me away, the way it dealt with it all. You saw how drugs can just change people and destroy lives, and the things people go through, and the horrors that they can go through. I just thought it was done really, really well. Uh, that's why I made my list. and But I don't really want to see it again, because... God, it was harsh.
2: Yeah, that's what I've heard. And it just doesn't look like my kind of film, so. Yeah, but it's a
0: very well-made
2: film. Okay. With some great performances. Very good. Well, my number nine is Unbreakable by M. Night Shyamalan, starring Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson. And and I, I know this could be higher on the list for some people. Here's the thing. When I first saw Unbreakable, I didn't like it. And I, I realized that part of that was the inevitable post Sixth Sense letdown, you know, where, yeah. you know, I, I went to the theaters expecting to have the Sixth Sense experience over. Over again, and I did not, and I was very disappointed in it. I have come to reassess Unbreakable, and I enjoy it as a superhero origin story, Yeah. Um, but it is still kind of slow in places. I do like the film a lot more than I used to, but it's not like a hands-down favorite of mine. It's just, it's a good film that I enjoy. So I think number nine is a pretty good place for it. It's it's a film I like. It's in my top 10. You know, it does some neat stuff, but it's a little slow and a little ponderous in places, so it's got some flaws.
0: Okay, no, it's a, it's a good film. It might pop up on my list a bit later on. We'll
2: see. I had a feeling it might. (laughs)
0: No, it's a good choice though. Uh, My number nine is Shadow of the Vampire, which stars John Malkovich and Willem Dafoe, and it's uh, a fictionalised account of the making of uh, F.W. Murnau's Nosferatu, uh, where William Dafoe is playing uh, playing Max Schreck, the actor who played uh, the vampire Count Orlok. But uh, in this film, as they're making the movie, the director and the rest of the crew start to realise that the lead actor, Max Schreck, is a little bit odd, and could he actually be a vampire? I remember watching this, I like Nosferatu, I liked watching this the way it did. They did marry the two, you know, they re- recreated lots of the scenes and the sets and things like that. And Willem Dafoe as Count Orlock is just brilliant. And it's, it's, it's a very good, it's quite funny as well in places, but also quite dark, but uh, I really enjoyed it. Lots of fun. Very
2: cool. You know, I, I um, I did make my list. I, I love the concept of that movie and I remember watching it and I so wanted to really love it and uh, I just didn't. It didn't quite work for me, you know? I mean, um, yeah, yeah. Willem Dafoe's great in it and it, it, like I said, it's a great concept but it, just didn't, it never quite gelled for me. So, good pick but not on my list. Fair enough.
0: Okay, what's uh, what's your number eight? My number eight
2: is a, is a horror movie and it is Ginger Snaps starring Emily Perkins and Catherine Isabel uh, and it's a werewolf story about two sisters one of whom may or may not have been bitten by a werewolf. Uh, and werewolf movies are notoriously hard to do well. It seems like there's just not very many good werewolf movies out there. Um, but I really like this movie. It's it's done really well, especially for a low budget werewolf film. You know, the obviously there's some there's some moments of some dodgy makeup or effects, stuff like that. But it's a really cool it's almost like this isn't entirely accurate, but almost like if Heathers had a werewolf storyline written into it. You know, like it's, yeah, it's yeah. these two teenage girls. It's not a, quite a comedy but it does have some lighter Moments and and but it is, it is very serious. And the last like half of the film, things get really dark. So, Ginger Snaps, it's a really fun werewolf film.
0: Yeah, I need to hold my hand, I've never seen that one. Uh, I've always it's really to. good. It, yeah. It's because it's, I've always heard good things, yeah. About it, and it,
2: it holds up and better than you'd th- expect. And I think it lives up to the hype. Brilliant,
0: good choice. Okay, my number eight is Double Whammy, uh, two uh, American political dramas, stroke, thriller. The first one is the Contender, which deals with a fictional president played by Jeff Bridges as he appoints a new vice president played by Joan Allen also stars Gary Oldman and Christian Slater very good all dealing with various scandals and you know how how politics works in the US and things like that all behind the scenes great performances you with a cast like that you know it's going to be well acted really enjoyable worth checking out if you've not seen it and the other one is 13 days which uh it's a dramatic retelling of the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, and it has Kevin Costner in the lead role as a White House assistant, Kenneth P. O'Donnell, and all the brilliant Bruce Greenwood as JFK. Yeah. It's dealing with the 13 days of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Very tense, dramatic. I, I knew about the Cuban Missile Crisis, but didn't know that much about it. So seeing this from inside the White House was quite interesting, and uh, again, great performances by everybody involved. But uh, two very, very good, very well-made films.
2: Yes, indeed. Uh, both films I've seen, neither one quite made my list. Um, but uh, I, I love the performances in 13 Days, but I, I wish I found the movie more yeah, yeah. Uh, more engaging personally. So, all right, very good. My number seven is U571, starring Matthew McConaughey, Bill Paxton, and Harvey Keitel. Um, and, and similar in a way to Unbreakable, I remember seeing this movie in the theaters and not being all that impressed with it. I don't know why. It just didn't, I don't know. I was like, okay, that was fine, but I didn't get, you know, I wasn't blown away by it. And then Mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago, again, I think when it came out on Blu ray for the first time, I was like, oh, I'll watch this again. I haven't seen it in a while. And I was like, glued to the screen (laughs) like something about it i don't know what happened but the second time i watched it i was like oh my god this movie is so intense like i really enjoyed it uh you know i just it jumped up in my enjoyment level you know much higher than it was the first time i don't know if because my expectations were lower but whatever reason uh if you've seen it but only seen it once and you don't remember being that good revisit it it's actually a much better film than i think most people remember
0: it's uh i enjoy it i always like to see matthew mcconaughey and also it was a different kind of film for him as well you know a period piece war movie right right kind of thing so it's good seeing him doing that yeah definitely but uh, i i need to see it again because i think i only saw it the once when it came out right right But anyway good choice thank you uh my number seven is a film that we went after the ending for back in episode 40 and i'd never seen it until that point uh it's the replacements Ah, oh, yes very good <laughs> yeah an american football sports comedy starring keanu reeves and gene hackman as i say i john favreau as well and lots of other people we talked about it in episode 40 but it's very funny it's, there's lots of those kind of films where it's, you know it's a team of underdogs get put together some of them a bit weird and they you know finally manage to work as a team and do good things and have funny adventures along the way
2: yeah I I do remember that you hadn't seen it when I proposed us doing it and I was like yeah yeah, yeah. you have to watch it and I was so nervous waiting because I because I do really love that movie and I was like I hope Phil likes it because you know I was nervous <laughs> that you wouldn't like it but then you told me that you did and I was very happy so very yeah.
0: good. it was the most enjoyable Sunday afternoon watching that one indeed
2: all right good. Okay, well, my number six is Return to Me, starring David Duchovny and Minnie Driver. And it is a romantic comedy about a man whose wife dies and donates her heart, and it goes to a woman who he ends up falling in love with. Um, which sounds morbid when you say it like that, but it's really not. It's a very, very funny, charming, romantic comedy. Uh, Great supporting cast, including Carol O'Connor and Bonnie Hunt and Robert Loggia. Um, And it's just one one of those movies that my wife and I just absolutely love. We saw it when we were dating early on in our relationship, and we loved it. We've watched it many times over the years, and we love it every time. It's just a really funny film that flew completely under the radar, and I think that most people who have seen it really like it, and but most people haven't seen it so definitely one to to track down because i think it's just a really great film
0: yeah i, I never saw it because I, th- I think i was sort of put off by the concept and I never got around to watching it
2: yeah it's so much better than you think though it really is yeah yeah
0: yeah okay no good choice though and again i must have to check it out and uh, my number six is a Coran brothers movie it's oh brother where art thou the one with george clooney john tutorial and tim blake nelson escaping a chain gang and trying to get back to the wife of uh, Clooney's character. Along the way, they record a folk song as the Soggy Bottom Boys... or Bluegrass song, sorry, and uh, it becomes a hit and they have some crazy adventures along the way. And it basically, it's a retelling of Homer's Odyssey, about, you know, the guy trying to get back to his wife. Meet the Cyclops, John Goodman, all that kind of thing. But I really liked it, the style of it, the visual... The, well, the whole look of it, the way it's done, the, the characters are very... It was, well, it was a good cast of characters, lots of funny moments, quite a few surreal moments, and a great soundtrack. That's my number six.
2: All right. Well, as you know, I'm not a huge Coen yeah, Brothers yeah. fan, but I actually have never seen this one. Believe it or not. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've always meant to. I always wanted to because I thought this one actually looked like fun. I've just never gotten around to it. Yeah,
0: it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's good. It's just, it's a bit bit odd in places, but it, on the whole, I I really like it. It's it's got a kind of it's got the the feel of a Coen Brothers movie, but it's a little bit different from some of the others as well. Right. Right. Yeah. One of these days, I'll check it out. Yeah. Not kind of as bleak as some of them can be. Right. Right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, my
2: number five is *American Psycho*, starring Christian Bale, and one of my favorite performances of his, uh, probably before he started taking himself way too seriously. Although maybe he always did. I don't know. But um, <laughs> he's fantastic in this movie as uh, you know a a psycho killer, perhaps. Um, and it's just it's so well written, and it's just got all this great internal dialogue, and the way he talks about Huey Lewis and the business cards and everything like oh, that. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's just such a great, fun, intense film. Like you wouldn't think that a movie. That involves a scene where he ends up running, almost naked, covered in blood, could be funny, but it is. It's a it's a it's yeah. a film with a lot of humor to it. Yeah, when he's
0: got when he's got the, chains, yeah. the chainsaw, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he's like looking down and he's like moving it, aiming and things like that. Yeah, yeah.
2: it's it's yeah. but it's a it's a really cool film. It's very different from any other film that I can think of, uh, and and I enjoy it. And Christian Bale's performance is just utterly magnificent. So that's my number five.
0: Yeah, it almost made my list. Got pushed back a little bit, but uh, yeah, Fair it enough. is a good film. Uh, okay, my number five is uh, Pitch Black. Directed by David Twohy, starring Vin Diesel, and it's the one where they land on a planet. Uh, Vin Diesel's a killer, but there's like creatures out in the dark which are going to kill you even worse, than Vin Diesel will. Uh, I quite liked it. It was a really good, well-made B movie which sort of got pushed up up the ranks to you know to get on the big screen, and it was a little bit different. It had a great concept. Uh, it was done done really well, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think I mentioned the other week as well, the Chronicles of Riddick. We talked about that, but uh, the Pitch Black was a, a great start to something which should have been a lot bigger than it actually is, I think.
2: Sure, sure. I like that film quite a bit, actually. And I remember it very well because I remember I saw a Vin Diesel double feature when I went to the theaters that day. I saw two movies in a row. It was Pitch Black, and it was one half of my number four. So it was Pitch Black followed up by Boiler Room, which stars Giovanni Ribisi. And Vin Diesel, so it was a it was a Diesel rific day, is what we what we called it. Yeah. So my number four is Boiler Room and Almost Famous. That's a that's a double whammy for you there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I picked those. I I love both films. First of all, um, Boiler Room is sort of basically just a remake of Wall Street, but I love Wall Street. So and Boiler Room is just a really and they even watch Wall Street in the movie. You know, they they all like <laughs> watching the film. And it's really fantastic. And Vin Diesel is great in that. Um, and Almost Famous, I pick because they're both sort of like based in like the real world. You know, one is stocks and bonds and one is like rock stars, but they, I don't know, there's, I don't say there's a similar feel to them. Um, obviously, we just talked about Almost Famous last week, but they both are, yeah. you know, dramas that could have happened, I guess, you know, thing, or, or probably did happen, um, but they're just not based on anyone's particular true story necessarily. I know Cameron Crowe sort of based it on his experiences but the yeah, band yeah. itself it's not like it's like it's not like hey this is the true story of led zeppelin or anything like that it's a it's sort of a mishmash it's of, a,
0: yeah it's a mashup of uh, stories and right. events and rumors
2: right and boiler room yeah. is kind of a similar i'm sure there are plenty of people who got arrested in the you know for insider trading and stuff like that just like in boiler room but it's not set on any particular event so um so that's why i matched them up which is probably way too much explaining but uh, <laughs> i really i really love both those films so that's yeah i need my to watch four. boiler
0: room again i can't I remember I've seen it, but I can't remember yeah. much It's really good. It. I like it a lot. No good choice. Okay, my number four, you've already mentioned it, is Unbreakable. Uh, I, I quite like the fact that it was just slow and took its time, and you, we follow Bruce Willis' character learning about his abilities and you, you, the way it's all done as well. You, you, most of the time you're going, well, is that really, you know, has he really got powers? What's right. going on? Right. And then the whole, you know, turnaround with Mr. Glass, I quite like. I just, I just thought it was... It was a nice take on a superhero origin story and uh, it reminded me of like some of the independent comic books as well where you, you know it's not flashy or anything it just tells the story and then it it's done
2: yeah yeah very good pick all right. Well, my number three is a film by Christopher Nolan, the one that put him on the map. It is ah, Memento.
0: My number three <laughs> is, is also Memento by Christopher Nolan.
2: Uh, well, there you go. So, well, yeah, we've got a, a, a good. It's been a while since we've matched up on a, on one of our films on the list. Uh, stars Guy Pierce and Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantoliano. Uh, and it's about a man whose short term memory has been destroyed. So he has to tattoo everything on himself. And the film is told backwards. And it's really fascinating and it shouldn't work, uh, but it does. And it's really, really cool. It's a great film. It's really, really unique and innovative and fun to watch and great performances. So that's why it's my number three.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's my number three uh, for many of those same reasons. Great performances by Guy Pierce. The whole, I just say, it's telling the whole story in reverse, but we always, because he's got amnesia, he can only have, it's only like uh, 15 minutes at a time or whatever. So we always come in each scene starts with him going, "Oh, what's going on here? Oh, who's that? Why am I being chased? Or am I chasing him? And then it ends with him in a panic trying to remember what's happened or write it down. Cause he all his memories that he all the things he can remember, he tattoos. On his arm to make sure he reminds himself of them but yeah extremely well done great story uh very clever and i mean I, I had the blu-ray as well and you can see watch the film in order and it still works in order as well obviously it's not quite as wow but it's uh right right it's good that it does work both ways yes agreed but uh a great film if you haven't seen it because it's uh well it's worth watching a few times because you know it's it's hard to keep track of things right right
2: it's definitely a film you're gonna pay attention to yeah
0: but uh yeah that's our number three
2: All right. Good choice. Well, my number two has already appeared on your list. It is The Replacements. Yeah, I thought it might be. <laughs> I just really love this film. It's just, it's funny from start to finish. The characters are all endearing. Keanu Reeves is, is great in it. Gene Hackman is terrific in it. I love football. Obviously, I'm a big football fan, so that doesn't hurt any. But, you know, and sports movies in general are great. But, you know, this really is just, to, to my mind, one of the great sports comedies. I know it's sort of, you know, it wasn't a huge hit at the box office, and it's kind of one of those films that, you know, you can catch it on most weekends on your your TV channels like TNT tbs it's not it's not a prestige film uh but i really love it and it you know when it comes i look at the list of movies on here that i've watched the most times yeah and that i can still watch 18 years later and enjoy it just as much as i did the first time the replacements you know took a pretty high spot because it's that
0: much fun oh no, yeah and you'd be on your list because i don't know how much you like it but, <laughs> yeah uh, i really do it, it deserves to be up there if you haven't seen it it's worth tracking down indeed yeah it's, it's a lot of fun uh, so that's uh, it's always nice to have th- Films you've not seen before to your list. But okay, my number two is a Joel Schumacher movie. Mm. It's uh, Tigerland, which is... uh, It stars Colin Farrell in the lead role. And it's all about uh, a bunch of soldiers in a training camp uh, getting trained up before they go to the Vietnam War. It's gritty. It's supremely Uh, well-acted. It was a breath of fresh air when I watched it. It just blew me away with the performances by everybody in the story. And... You know, Joel Schumacher, you often think of the Batman films that he did, destroyed. Uh, but this one is just, you wouldn't think it was him directing it. But obviously, you know, he's directed lots of films. But this is, this is one of the good Schumacher films. Uh, if you haven't seen it, check it down and watch it because it's superb. Colin Farrell is just amazing in it.
2: Excellent choice. All right. Well, my number one, I'm pretty sure, is not your number one. But that's okay. okay. I'm going to tell you what it is anyway. It is the second football movie in my top two. Ooh, okay. It is Remember the Titans.
0: Oh, yeah. And when I saw that on the list, I knew it'd be on your list, yeah.
2: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I absolutely love this movie. It is not only my favorite sports movie of all time, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. And I think it's easy to write it off as one of those... 2000 movies, you know, the year 2000 movies that you just watch when it comes on TV. I think people watched it. It was a pretty decent hit when it came out. I think people liked it. And I think people forgot about
0: it. Oh, it's that inspirational coach doing his thing we've seen so many times. Right, right. Yeah, exactly.
2: It's got the racism. It's about, you know, it's about racism and football teams and this and that. Like, right, we've seen it before. I get that. Uh, But I think this movie is superb. I think that Denzel Washington and Will Patton as the coaches are are terrific. I think the story is great. I think the characters, the young actors, they get to play the football players, a lot of whom went on to, you know, really great careers, um, including Ryan Gosling, obviously, (laughs) Um, uh, you know, they're they're. They're all really good. The way they play it, the way that the team overcomes this divide, and even just the character like the coach's little girl who's like this little spitfire and everything, it all just comes together and makes this movie that, to me, is just a perfect film from start to finish. And the fact that it's based on on real life, and when you find out what some of the characters in real life, how they remain friends and stuff like that, it's really touching. Um, I just can't say enough good things about this movie. I think it's one of those ones that if you've watched it and forgotten about it, revisit it and and rediscover just what an amazing film it really is that's that's my number one and it was a it was a no-brainer
0: for me excellent i've i watched it and forgot about it i need to watch it again yeah it's i remember because I, I remember enjoying it but that's about all, all I can bring remember. your tissues because it'll make you yeah, cry yeah. at the end i'm being sad no an excellent choice it did not be on your list but uh, that's your number one yep a good choice and uh, my number one it's already been on your list it's almost famous ah very good we talked about it in last week's episode when after the ending so don't really need to go into more details but it's just a great film lots of events i like the way it just takes its time lots of various things you see behind the scenes of being in a rock and roll band it's got a good sense of place and time uh great acting good story good characters and yeah almost famous watch
2: it yes yes if you want to hear more about what we think of almost famous just listen to last week's episode
0: yes there you
2: go <laughs> excellent choice obviously it was my number four i love it as well so uh, a good choice yeah well that's uh that's 2000 there you go all right well that is our list for this week that's going to start to wrap things up for us so phil why don't you tell people what they can look forward to next week
0: okay next week we're going to be going after the ending of apocalypto and in a space
2: two great movies if you haven't seen apocalypto yet yeah, really uh great. and you want to and you want to be caught up before next episode i highly recommend it it's a fantastic film a little violent be aware but really worth tracking down before you listen to our endings it's it's really great yeah
0: i totally agree uh, most well should i say enjoyable i mean yeah. it is in it's, a, it's a thriller a, it, kind of it way goes, it goes to dark places but it's a very, very good film yeah. great story Right, right. Um, and we'll also be giving our top ten films of 1983.
2: All right, a lot of eighties next week between Inner Space and our and 1983, but that's okay. Who doesn't love the eighties?
0: Yeah, looking through. 1983's films, there's some good ones and there's some absolutely dreadful ones. That's the 80s for you. And also lots of dreadful ones that you want to watch because they're, they're so dreadfully bad you just can't help them. Right, right. Mm. Okay, but that's what's ha- happening next time. All right, that sounds like fun, so join
2: us then. Uh, until that time, however, I remain Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll
0: see you next week. After the ending. Yeah, do you want to listen? Here's the sound at the, uh, the Infinity Gauntlet makes. Yeah. I'm, I'm just putting it on now. This is the Infinity Gauntlet. That's the fingers moving. Wow. Apparently, they cost a hundred pounds.
2: Yeah, they're expensive. What's funny is to me that sounds like the the um like the routine that like Nick Nolte goes through every morning when he gargles
0: glass so he can get his voice to sound like <laughs> it does. That's actually well, Mike. That's the big surprise. I got Nick Nolte <laughs> oh, here in today. He's right there. Is he, he's doing his vocal yeah, warm ups no, we don't need you to talk. We don't need it to talk. We just that was all we wanted you for. Okay, see you. Yep. There's the door. Yeah. Bye, Nick. God, I thought he'd never leave. He's been here all day just for that one bit. <laughs> Cost me a fortune to fly, man. Yeah, it has it's been lots of TV shows, things like that. But you'll, 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 you'll all know the face when you see it. But uh, well. We're not going to show the face because it's a podcast. Yeah, yeah. Didn't think that. Didn't think that went through.
2: That would be the aforementioned Miss Wiss. Hey, that rhymes, Miss Wiss. <laughs> um, if she was Swiss, she'd be Swiss Miss Wiss. Anyway, I
0: can't. I can't think of any. Swiss, Swiss, Swiss. Oh no, no. Swiss, Swiss. No, I can't think of any.
2: Well, if you were today. if you were referring specifically to her, she could be this Swiss Miss Wiss. Damn it! <laughs>
1: pretty serious storyline actually told in a really funny we'll, we'll pause for one second yeah. <laughs> the, the perils of doing con- yeah. convention interviews
0: i can't do it in a the cage thing
2: no because it's not a it's not a like what?
0: What? it's always got to be a uh, right what? he's always a bit surprised kind of uh, yeah and a little tiny uh, and stuttery uh, you know? and then but shout it. a bit i, 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 I want to order a sub sandwich uh, yeah, the first bit, yes, yes. See. The first then bit was very Cage. It kind of goes into
2: like an angry Jimmy Stewart. So I don't know. Yeah,
0: that, that's, that's what I started doing when I was trying to do What, what,
2: Right, right, exactly. So it's hard It's hard to do Nicolas Cage. Well, there's dif- different ways
0: to take that statement. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll have to work on my Nick Cage but, impression.
2: But at least now you can add a Nick Nolte impression to your list. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Nick, get out. Get out, we told you to go.
2: I'm never going to be able to hear that and not think of Nick Nolte now.
0: That's it. If that's the same sound they use in the film, first time we see Thanos, he's going to stand there and just go, boom. And you and me just going to go, oh, my God. We've ruined 10 years of Marvel films. Exactly. Uh, I wonder how much they paid Nick Nolte, though, to do the voice of the Infinity <laughs> Uh, Savage Steve Holland said... Savage Steve Holland. Is that his real name?
2: Well, the savage part is a
0: nickname. Oh, no, it's about Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I've known a few savages in my life. Okay. (laughs)